This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad. Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. From the TCL studios, it's Mackie and Judd. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. I think we should play the Skull Chant a lot more than what we do. I don't know who's in charge of that, Rick, but two times a game doesn't get it. So we need to do that a lot more when we're at home. Um, I'm not going to give you my game plan. Football. On the baseball, that's right, on the baseball front, real quick, Brewers bases loaded right now against Clayton Kershaw, up one to nothing. They've got him on the ropes a little bit here, but uh, we'll see what Aguilar can do. But that's enough about baseball because it's the football hour. We got Matthew Collar on the phone football. here. We got Rich Gannon coming up. Matthew, tell us about this Vikings defense and what they've been able to do the last couple games to not be such a disaster. (laughs) That's a good way to put it. I I think it starts with causing turnovers in Philadelphia, and that's something that you can't just go tell a defense to do. Hey, guys, just cause more turnovers. But it's been a big difference maker uh, against the Eagles getting the two fumbles and then Anthony Barr forcing David Johnson to fumble too, that if Arizona was going to get a lead or be in that game, then you know they, they couldn't turn the ball over. And making big plays at big times is something, even if they didn't always have turnovers, but it's something that they've always done under Mike Zimmer. I mean, last year it seemed like any time a team got in the red zone, they were kicking a field goal aside from uh, the playoffs. I mean, even going back to when Drew Brees played here to start last season, I think they were something like one for five or whatever it might have been New Orleans was at the beginning of 2017 in the red zone. And so even good quarterbacks were struggling. And then when they get you know a red zone stop against the Eagles, a red zone stop at the goal line against Josh Rosen a couple of times, one for a field goal and the other one for a turnover on downs, those are things that they were not doing over the first couple of games very often. Um, and, and then, you know, I mean, Anthony Barr talked about simplifying things. I don't even know exactly what that means, but he also said that, that they came up with a bunch of ideas in the offseason and not all of them worked in practice, but worked, you know, well, they worked like a training camp, but not so much when they were applying them to real games. And that's where I wonder if there was a little bit of an overcorrection by Mike Zimmer and the defensive staff that they were thinking too much about losing 38-7 to in the NFC Championship game and maybe not enough about what they did well. And, you know, I also saw when a team goes 0 for 10 on third downs, that's really impressive. And they threw the entire house at Josh Rosen. I mean, it was a different look 10 times where pressure was coming from different spots. They went, 
cover zero where everyone rushes. They went only rushing four. There was even one time where they only lined up three defensive linemen, which I can't remember ever seeing Mike Zimmer do that before. So, I mean, he decided to pull out all the stops, and I would imagine he does that again against the Jets. As you grind film intently, Collar, do do you find that in these past two games the Vikings are doing things defensively to to mix things up more than they did previously? Because it seems to me like these past two games, and especially on Sunday, that they were providing a a very uh, different and and more variety of an array of looks than they probably did, for instance, against Buffalo. So it's it's interesting because the answer is kind of yes, that uh, they are throwing even more confusion and different looks and pressures coming from different spots than they did before. Although, you know, Mackenzie Alexander also sacked Aaron Rodgers on a similar play, and Jimmy Garoppolo got sacked by Harrison Smith on a similar rush uh, package that they decided to use uh, this week against Arizona. You know, I think that a part of it, and this is where we're really going to find out as we go forward, was also that Buffalo and the Los Angeles Rams were running a lot of similar stuff. Of course, the Rams executed it way better than Buffalo did, but Buffalo still was able to rip off some big plays with a lot of the misdirections and the motions and the fake jet sweeps and all that sort of thing. So what I expected was every other team to come out and just do all this same stuff to the Vikings. And the Eagles did almost none of it. And Arizona did almost none of it. And it really makes you wonder about NFL head coaches, right? I mean, just like, how do you watch what the Rams have done to a Vikings defense that's so talented? They've got Eric Kendricks spinning around like a top. And the same thing really happened in week one, but Jimmy Garoppolo just happened to throw three picks. And then also they had a tight end who dropped two passes. But, I mean, Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay were able to really confuse the Vikings linebackers especially. And then the other teams they've played haven't done any of that stuff. And it's really surprising to me. So I guess as we go forward here, that might be the determining factor that offenses that play a certain way, they're going to be able to still have success. Yep. But, you know, if teams steal from that, then they might be able to do some of the same things that the Rams and 49ers were able to do. Here's why. My experience has been this. Teams will steal and copy, but they need time to be comfortable. So if we don't do so if we put in the Rams film but we don't do that, we don't have enough time to morph our, our offense towards that. I think that's why. So if I have 6 months, I can change things and attack you deep uh, or offensively in a different way, but I really think it's the stubbornness of teams to say we don't have the confidence to put in those changes immediately. Yeah, and maybe that's why teams in the NFL are so good when they come out of a bye week because they have the two weeks to prepare, and, and that's why teams generally win when they have the two weeks to, to play in the playoffs if they get the home field. That helps, too. But it does surprise me, though, that still you wouldn't be able to figure out how to implement some of those things or that you wouldn't have stolen them already. I mean, my gosh, like Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay, these guys aren't new. This isn't their first year, and everyone's going, wow, who are these guys? Like, these are the guys that – you know, when you talk to high school and college coaches that they're raving about and that they're learning and stealing from, and a lot of the NFL guys are doing it the same. And, and I thought that Arizona's offense was just downright pathetic in terms of its design, that there was no creativity whatsoever, and that uh, you know maybe once upon a time Mike McCoy was a guy who was thought of pretty highly, but I mean, even though they don't have a whole lot of talent, they also didn't throw a lot at this Vikings defense. So now that will be interesting because Jeremy Bates in New York, now that is a creative guy. That's a guy that got a really good season out of Josh McCown last year. 
So I wouldn't be surprised if we see a little more from him than we've seen. I was surprised the Eagles didn't run more of it, but uh, especially this last week. So I guess the, the big picture on the Vikings defense is, yes, these last two weeks were positive and they made plays, but I think in order for me to be really sold that they're back to being a top-tier defense, they're going to have to do it this week, and they're especially going to have to do it against New Orleans. Yeah. Matthew Collar from the Purple Podcast and also 1500ESPN.com. How do you prefer your football? Do you, do you prefer it as offensive and historically offensive as we've seen it in the NFL this year, or do you prefer it with a little bit more 2,000 Ravens? I just prefer it. Just prefer football. That's that's how I football. Um, no, I. <laughs> you know, I, I go back and forth on this because entertainment value wise, I mean, I was around for 1998 when McGuire and Sosa hit the home runs, and I don't mind watching Steph Curry hit 12 threes in a game. I'm not going to fight him on that, but there is a little part of me that grew up watching the New York Knicks just beat the hell out of people that makes me enjoy defense and there's a part of it too and from the football standpoint that I've always appreciated parcels and winning with defense because there's a feeling that if you win with offense it's usually just because your quarterback is better than the other teams and if you win with defense that that means your coaching staff got 11 men to play together all the time and that you had to be tough and physical and smart and crafty and you know there's a little bit more to be said for it I think than just oh yeah they had Tom Brady so they won and good for them so I guess that you know where we are right now I think it's going to be really interesting to see what defensive minds are sort of up to the task that that's been how this league has been trending for its entire history more or less is the offenses get ahead and then the defenses figure it out and right now the offenses are ahead, but I'm going to enjoy trying to see what defenses start doing to these offenses because what you're seeing is a lot of the same plays working all the time. The same play that Josh Rosen hit to Christian Kirk is the same play that Tyreek Hill caught a touchdown for the Chiefs and that we've seen a a bunch of teams run. So now how are teams going to adapt to that? You know what I mean? And and that's going to be, I think, I think that's going to be entertaining for me. So I kind of just enjoyed the chess match more than anything. Do you know who loves football more than you, Matthew Collar? I found uh, I him. I say no one. I guess I'll leave the door open for someone. I have found him, and he plays in the middle of the Vikings defensive line. Linval Joseph, on the injury <laughs> report, did not participate in practice today because he has an ankle injury and a knee injury. Oh my God! And a shoulder injury, and he's gonna play Sunday. <laughs> football, 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 yeah, football, yeah, football, football. Yeah, In a compound fracture, doesn't matter. A compound fracture. You don't love football <laughs> nearly as much as Linval loves football. Well, that's like the um, the the guy who gets the the leg cut off, and he's like, "I'm fine. It's just a flesh wound, right?" Yeah. Um, it's just a flesh wound. <laughs> yes. Nothing well, more than flesh. You wound. know what? If that. Linval, though, if he has to rest, it might be the time to rest. I don't really trust David Perry for anything, but um, especially when you're talking about Linval Joseph. But this is a guy who doesn't get talked about a whole lot. He's a likable figure. He's a big, jolly guy. But, I mean, when you watch him on film, you are blown away. I mean, not only does he chase down running backs from behind, but he just dominates his man anytime he's one-on-one. It takes two guys to block him all the time. I mean, you look at any of the great defenses of all time, they always have a dominant nose tackle, and it's 
one of the biggest reasons that the Vikings are who they are. And again, on Sunday, someone tries to stuff the ball up the middle at Linval Joseph. When will teams stop doing this? I'm going to go with probably never, but I don't know why, because offensive linemen cannot handle him. So if he's, if he's hurt and this is going to linger, that could be tough for them. Because if you remember 2016, he got dinged up actually playing fullback on a play. I remember he got dinged up, and it hurt them big time. I think if he had stayed healthy, they would have been the number one defense in 2016, but in part they weren't because teams could run against them when Lindball was either slowed down or wasn't in the lineup. Yeah. Hey, what can people find on Purple Podcast right now and uh, also 1500ESPN.com from you? We've got uh, Jets' perspective uh, on the Kirk Cousins signing in Minnesota and not New York. And then Sage Rosenfels and I talked about uh, uh, Ray Lucas. Everybody remembers Ray Lucas? Wow, journeyman uh, quarterback quarterback of the week? Uh, Yep, that was him. So make sure you check that out. Right on. Bye, Matthew. See you, Collar. Football. Thanks, guys. All right, that's Matthew Collar. Happy football. Yep. Football. He enjoys football. Uh, Rich Gannon, when we come back here, Judd Zolgad. But first time to talk to my good friend, Mr. Money Talk, Josh Arnold, where you always get... Mackie and Judd, it is the football hour, and Rich Gannon, a weekly guest, one of our favorites, joins the show. Rich, what's going on, man? Where are you traveling to this weekend? I have uh, a game out in the West Coast. I've got the Rams, the undefeated Rams against the 49ers, and I was actually pretty surprised by what I saw from C.J. Beathard against the Packers. On Monday night, he played a lot better than he did the week before against Arizona. But uh, they're going to have uh, they're going to have a tough time of it against the undefeated Rams. So, what do you make of Sean McVay here, one of the youngest coaches in NFL history, putting up crazy offense here in, uh, in well last season and this season? What makes him such a special coach to this point? You know, he took over the worst offense in football. He had some young players. He had a quarterback that. Went 0-7 as a rookie, and he came in last year, and he was probably the most improved player in the league. You know, obviously had the offensive player of the year and and, and Gurley, but I think he's very creative and innovative. The one thing that's unusual is I broke him down this week. 97% of their snaps offensively, they're an 11 personnel, one tight end, one back, and three receivers. They just line up in it. They do some motions and shifts and things like that to to window dress it. But this is the personnel they kind of live in. Um, They they, uh, they've got a great back, a very good offensive line, and a quarterback that's, that's playing well. I think the key, if you're going to play against uh, this offense, um, you know, you, you've got to make sure that you can get around the quarterback and get him moving a little bit off the spot. He doesn't, doesn't have great lateral movement, uh, but uh, when he's able to sit in there and throw the ball, he can be very accurate from the pocket. Hey, Rich, how good is Goff at this point, and how much room is left for him to develop as well, do you think? He's a good player. I think he's he's got a high football IQ. I think he's got you know the arm talent that you like. He can make all the throws. Um, he, he's you know they're all different. They all come in different shapes and sizes, right? They're all different strengths. He, he doesn't throw the ball he, uh, particularly uh, as well as some of these other guys moving to his right or left. Like he's not Mahomes that way. Uh, he doesn't have the greatest capability of an Aaron Rodgers or even a Mahomes. You know type type of. He's more of a a pocket passer. He's more of a rhythm passer. Uh, he can, you know, if, if the protection breaks down and he finds a crease, he can, you know, run for a first down. But it's, it's not a big part of his game. And the and the coach does a great job. I think Sean McVay does a great job. I think schematically putting him in situations where he's comfortable, uh, he gets gets the ball out quick. He, he can tell he knows where his quick answer throw is. They t- they throw a ton of crossing routes, deep crossing routes to Cooks and 
and uh, to Cup and some of these other guys that uh, you know have the speed to, to run those type of routes. As a rule, Rich, what what is a a fair time uh, to pass assessment on, on a QB? What is what's the stage in a quarterback's career that that you have found where you can where you can positive positively identify that this guy either has it or doesn't have it? You know, I think the problem is is that. In today's NFL, it's like after five games, we're like saying, "Oh, the guy's a bum; he can't play." You know what I mean? I just I don't think it's fair to the quarterback. Um, I, I think it's probably a lot of situations are different. For example, if the quarterback is in the same system, same quarterback, same coordinator, um, and you get twenty-five games in, you could probably get a pretty good sense, right? Or you know, you can get a pretty good sense of who the guy is. But if it's interrupted where the kid plays three or four games and then he's, he's watching and he gets hurt or you got a new coordinator the second year, then all of a sudden it's, it's interrupted. It's hard to get a sense of, okay, now he's learning a new system in year two, which you know, has happened to a lot of these quarterbacks. Like Alex Smith had, I think, five coordinators in his first six seasons. Whereas, you know, you look at Brady and, and Breeze and, you know, uh, Rodgers, they've been with the same, you know, same system their entire careers. And it's certainly, you know, it's, 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 it's paid huge dividends. But, uh, I would say, you know, 25 games, you'd probably get a good sense. Now, you look at some of these quarterbacks that are playing now, none of them are ready to play. Darnold, Allen, um, you know, Baker Mayfield, but, you know, Rosen, they're all they're all getting a chance to play, and, and quite frankly, a lot of them are playing on teams that aren't very good. Rich, on that same token, when is it time to look at a quarterback and and decide that it's it's time to move on from him? Because, I, you know, I look at the New York Giants and the situation with Eli Manning and, the Giants this year kind of did the same thing that that the Rams did with Todd Gurley a couple of years ago, where they drafted him high in the first round, uh, or drafted uh, they drafted Saquon Barkley high in the first round this year. And I think the thought from everybody was that, well, Eli Manning's up there in age and he's declining a little bit, and it's time for them to get a new quarterback. But they didn't do that. So when do you think it is time to look at a guy like Eli and say, okay, it's it's he's up there in age and it's probably time. To, to move on to a younger guy? Well, I think they've already started that process. I think it started last year. I mean, I, I think within the organization, they've got under the general manager. I, I think they had that conversation about, hey, what's out there? Where is Eli at? We've got a new coach. He's in his 15th season, right? So, you, you know, they, they, there's not a lot of upside there. I think you know, he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's probably on the downside of his career. Now, if you have a good defense, good offensive line, you go out and get Saquon Barkley, um, you know, you've got some weapons at the receiver position. Um, then all of a sudden you say, okay, well, maybe we can make another run with this guy. But right now they've won one game. Um, the receiver is, is he's out of control. Um, Odell Beckham Jr. I mean, he's just, honestly, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a menace to his team. He's just a distraction. He's a great player, but, you know, for so many years he's been allowed to misbehave and now you've created a monster and you don't know what you're going to get from him each week. And, I just think it's, you know, Eli's a little different than Peyton. Peyton was the type of guy that would run the practice. He, if there was a problem, he, he, he would get it fixed. He would address it. Eli's a little bit more soft-spoken, a little bit more easygoing, uh, not as demonstrative. And I think that that's, you know, it's not helping him right now when, you know, people are saying, well, who's the leaders on that team? And, you know, he leads by example. He's just a guy that comes in. He's a professional, does his work. He's always prepared. But he's not played great. But then again, in fairness to, to the rest of them, the offensive line isn't very good. The defense hasn't been great. And there's a reason why they've won just one game. Yeah. Uh, I heard a number, I think it was on Levitard's show earlier this week, that Ryan Fitzpatrick has more career touchdown passes than Troy Aikman. 
And then you look, and uh, Philip Rivers having a career season. I, I'm a huge Philip Rivers guy, and he's having a career season. He, you look at the all-time charts, Rich, and all of a sudden Philip Rivers is eighth in passing yards all time, and sixth in passing touchdowns. And it makes me think, and this is not to knock Philip Rivers or necessarily Ryan Fitzpatrick. It's just becoming a lot harder to compare quarterbacks across eras because of the numbers being put up right now. It's a great point. I mean, think about it. Like Troy Aikman was a great player, but so was Emmitt Smith. Right? So was Michael Irvin. Um, you know, so was that offensive line. And they ran the ball a lot. You yeah. know, like, I mean, there's a lot of games where Troy threw it 20, 22 times, 25 times. I'm not taking anything away from Troy Aikman. I'm just saying, you know, that, that that's kind of how they rolled. And they had, you know, and people don't talk enough probably about their defense. Um, you, know, you look at Phillip Rivers, it's always been about Rivers as well in the football. I think it's one of the problems. I think Phillip Rivers has kind of run that show in San Diego and now in Los Angeles. And they got this great running back. I did some of the games last year. The kid doesn't touch it enough. Because why? When push comes to shove, they're going to put the ball in the hands of Phillip Rivers. Look, look at that team, the Chargers, over the last, I think, two or three seasons. They've lost more games in the fourth quarter with leads than any team in football, I think. And part of it is they don't know when to say when. Like, you know, hey, maybe we should start, you know, we got this guy named Melvin Gordon. Let's put him back there in the eye at seven yards. Let's get him, let's get him, let's get him lathered up a little bit. They don't do that. So they don't play complimentary football and they don't know how to win sometimes. But you're right about the passing. It's, it's out of control. The changes with the rules, you can't, you know, the, you know, a couple, you know, several years ago, you can't, you know, you can't press that, you can't grab them after five yards, the chuck rule, all that kind of stuff, and hits on defenseless players, and helmet rule, and then the quarterback, and nowadays, I mean, think about it, look at the other night, Brady, he's in the pocket, the, the kid from the Chiefs lets him go, I mean, you're just afraid, you know, what happens is, guys, it's not just the penalty, the players don't really care, I mean, they care about the penalties. But when they come back and it's twenty five thousand dollars out of their paycheck and have to go home to their wife and say, "Hey, why is there twenty five thousand less in the paycheck this week?" Well, <laughs> I tackle Brady and apparently I landed on him with a little too much body weight. Oh, you're kidding! I mean, honestly, the, 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 the fines are out of control. <laughs> I think it's and what's happening is, if, like, you're a quarterback, you're like, you know, I mean, I'm not saying it's not a physical thing still because it is, but I mean, gosh, it's like you're going to see, and not only that, but. You know, you look at some of like you know, look at some of these receivers, and they're so quick, they're so explosive. They, it's hard to get your hands on them. And these coordinators are coming up with schemes and plans, and it's just it's become a big. I mean, it's always. I think it's been a passing week for a while now, but like the days of like Adrian Peterson getting like thirty carries in a game are, I think, are long gone. Yeah. This league has moved on from that. Now they're all, you know, we got situational backs, and there's not a lot of three down running backs anymore. You know what I mean? They're just we're just not using them that way. Yeah. Hey, what's so we? It's fun for casual fans to sit here and watch quarterbacks and play fantasy football and and uh, and look at some of the counting numbers. But what what's one or two things that casual fans miss or don't see when trying to rank and evaluate quarterbacks and performances? What are some things what, that you see that we question. don't? What a great question. So in the league, like quarterbacks get rewarded for sacks. In other words. If you look at the QB rating and, and, and the efficiency numbers, if you throw the ball away, that works against you in your quarterback rating. Whereas if you hold it and take a sack, then that's, that doesn't work against your rating. So it, to me, it's backs who can avoid the negative plays. So, like, Brady is really good at it. Like, Brady, once the time clock goes off, once the pressure gets there, he either knows where his quick answer throw is or he just throws the ball away. And he'll just first and ten, they call a shot and it's not there, he just throws it away. I mean, you know, Josh McDaniels has plenty of calls on second ten, but he doesn't have a lot of calls on second nineteen. And so he's really good at avoiding the negative play, like red zone efficiency, like no turnovers, no sacks, no penalties down that part of the field. You know, it's like 
quarterbacks that are really good at, at, at understanding like situational football, third down. Um, but, like if you're going to evaluate a quarterback, one of the first things I look at is I look at the third down efficiency. Like where is because that's where the game speeds up, right? And how efficient can the guy be on third down? Can he keep the chains moving? And also fourth quarter numbers. Like when the game's on the line, does the quarterback like does he disappear, <laughs> or all of a sudden is he like you know he's one of the, he's he's at his best late games? But I think it's the negative plays, right? So, like I always look at inter, like inter, touchdown interception ratio, like you know Brady thirty eight touchdowns, six interceptions. I mean that's insane. But that's like Rogers. Rogers is using single digits, but the quarterbacks are throwing fifteen, sixteen, twenty picks a year. You know they're they're hurting their team, and also it's the fumbles, it's the ball securing the pocket. You know it's it's just. It's quarterbacks that know how to get their team to the finish line, right? Get, how, do you, how do you put your team in a position each week to be relevant in the fourth quarter? And that, honestly, speaking of that, I think you got to tip your hat to Kirk Cousins. I mean, he has been phenomenal. Phenomenal. You know, when you really look at his body of work through the first six, seven weeks of the season, and I think that you know, th- this is what they were hoping for. I mean, a guy that is ultra-competitive, Understand situational football. He's got great leadership skills and knows how to put his team in a position where they have a chance to be competitive and win each week. If Rich Gannon played in the National Football League in 2018, how good would Rich Gannon be in light of all the rules, the penalties, and how this game has evolved and changed into a passing league, Rich Gannon? I'd like to think I could throw for a lot of yards, a lot of touchdowns, but you know what? The game's it's different, and a lot of it has to do with like situation. Like I always say. So much of what happens at the quarterback position is predicated by what's going on around them. So, like, if you have a really good offensive line, you have some complimentary players, a receiver, a tight end, and, and so on and so forth, then, you know, you got a chance to be pretty good. But, like, like the Chiefs are a great example. Like, okay, they're, they're scoring 35 points a week. Um, you know, they've won, they lost just one game. But their defense is dead last in football. They're 32nd. And eventually that's going to catch up to them because they have to score 35 points a week to win. You know, and, and you look at it last week against the Patriots, they weren't able to do it. Now, um, like, that's where I think the Vikings are a lot better. I mean, the defense hasn't played its best football yet, but, like, I think I have confidence in Mike Zimmer looking dead straight now. But, like, if you have a little bit of both, in other words, you have the quarterback, you, you can score some points, you got some firepower on offense, but you got a defense that can keep the score down and create some negative plays, some turnovers, some sacks, and some field position, and you're pretty good in a kicking game, those are the teams we're usually talking about in January. So, Rich, I'm looking at uh, your numbers from your MVP season in 2002, <laughs> and uh, you threw for 4,689 yards that year. So what I, I, I guess what you're saying is that if you were playing today, you probably would have thrown for about 6,000 yards, right? <laughs> you got to be over 5,000, don't you? I mean, 5,000 5, is like, you know, it, 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 but look, and also it's attempts, I mean, right? Like you look at like Drew Brees, like he throws the ball a lot, and that's how they're kind of built. So he's you know he's going to be up there every year, and that's that's kind of who they are. But um, yeah, I mean, I still think that's a lot of yards, five thousand yards in a season. Um, but you know, and then and then at the same, if you're throwing it that much, then all of a sudden maybe there's some problems with you know the running game, the defense. So that's part of it too. Yeah. It's really important to play, play complimentary football. Mike Zimmer knows that. The, the, the team knows that. And that's what they have to do the rest of the way. To, uh, just to put a wrap on this conversation, I, Ted Williams was asked a very similar question back when he was, I think he was a manager back in the 70s. And someone said, well, Ted, how would you fare against today's pitchers with the way the game is? And he said, I, I could, I'd probably hit about 300. And the, and, the, and the interviewer goes, that's it? Your career average is 340. And he goes, well, you got to remember, I'm damn near 60 years old now. <laughs> that's true. He probably could. Yeah. You know, you think about how good of a player he was, but 
Um, <laughs> look, I, my time has come and gone. I realize that. I, I tell you, I love watching. Like you know, I love watching. Like this. I, I enjoy watching great quarterback play, and I, I think we've got a lot of it in our league. There, there's a changing of the guard. You know, I think there's some young players like, you know, Goff you mentioned. I think, you know, Mahomes. That, that's the future of our league. Um, you know, these guys have a, you know, a big ceiling, and, and uh, they've got really good, like, innovative play callers and, and that put them in position where they can really kind of take advantage of the talent. So, I think we're in good shape. We just got to find some guys that can cover. Yeah, exactly. They're All hard right. to find these days, Rich. Thank yes. you. Yeah. All right. Safe travels. See you, man. Rich Gannon, Mackie and Judd, the football hour. Mackie and Judd now continue. Well, here we are again. Yeah. On fifteen hundred ESPN. Football. That was great stuff from uh, our guy Rich Gannon there. Just because you liked your questions twice. Two, two in a row? Great a question. Row. I love that question. Man, validated the prep that I did for that interview. <laughs> it was awesome. Uh, I, feel, I feel a new game coming on here. Because Manny Hill is one of the great sports trivia masters that I've ever come across. Yes. You too. Agreed. So in our conversation there about offense and how it, it really is hard to compare quarterbacks across eras because offense is just through the roof and passing games are much more plentiful now. So I, I just I went back twenty years ago to the nineteen ninety eight season. Just had, I just literally went back to a random season and I'll be, I guess it's not super random. It's the nineteen ninety eight season, which we know about that season. And I just wanted to see what are you know, what was scoring like in ninety eight and and on average Teams scored four points fewer per game, so the or it might have been three or four. So, the, so the average game was twenty-one to twenty-one or whatever, forty-two combined points. Now it's pushing fifty points in two thousand eighteen. So we're talking, you know, six, seven, eight extra points per game uh, between two teams. And then at the very bottom of that list, I found a random team here: the Philadelphia Eagles of nineteen ninety-eight, which went three and thirteen. And scored 17 touchdowns all year that year. Wow. There's literally oh no God. connection here to anything other than I was just going through some seasons to compare offense now, offense then, and found this amazing example of a random team that scored 17 touchdowns all year. And I guess I turn what it to Manny game. Hill. Do you know anything about the <laughs> 1998 Philadelphia Eagles off the top of your head? What can you tell us? Give us a player. Give us something about the 1998 I'll tell you a Eagles. Their coach. Okay, and I, I swear to you, I'm not looking at anything here. Listeners, I swear to you, I, I know this off the top of my head. <laughs> that was Ray Rhodes' last year as head coach of the Eagles. He was fired after the season, and he went on to coach the Packers for one year, if you guys remember that, in 99. Ron Wolf fired him that, <laughs> the night of the last game. Yep. Ray Rhodes was the coach. Ray Rhodes was fired, and Andy Reid took over in 99, drafted Donovan McNabb. We, the rest is history. Hired Brad Childress, too. Don't forget that. Uh, yeah, he did. Um, two va- two very notable assistant coaches on this team. Very okay. notable. I will tell you. Okay, this is pre Donovan McNabb, so I'm gonna guess. Well, Coy Detmer started a game at Lambeau that year. That's remember remar- that. That's awesome. And I, rem- I the reason, that, and you guys are really gonna laugh at me. The only reason why I remember that was because Madden and Summerall were doing that game. This is an awful Eagles team playing at Lambeau. And and I remember the Eagles were hanging in that game. I know Judd's giving me this look like, how the hell did you know No, no, I, I looked at you like that because how did they assign them to that game? I know, I know, it was really bad. And what was the, are you looking at the schedule now, Phil? Yeah, I've got the final score, was it like 23-16 or 24-16 or something I hope like that's that? right. I hope it's a, yeah, yes! Yes! 
What? The reason, the reason yes, why I remember 20, that. 2460. Okay. The reason why I remember <laughs> this. Listen. <laughs> the reason why I remember. The reason why that game stands out to me so much is because the Eagles were heavy underdogs. They were terrible that year. Offense was bad. Everything. And the Packers were the Packers. They were Brett Favre coming off the Super Bowl season. Everything. And I remember that whole game, the Eagles were hanging around. They were keeping it close. And I remember hanging Madden. Around. I remember Madden the entire time saying, you know, Coy Detmer's really impressed me today. He's hanging around. He's making some nice throws today. The Eagles are doing a nice job hanging in today. That's the only reason why I remember that game. <laughs> and by the way. I love the fact you know the score. I, 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 I can tell the audience. I did not communicate any of this to either one of you guys. It was Nothing. literally just off the top of no. my head. And Manny has been has not been in front of the computer at all oh. during this segment. That's oh. incredible. So assistant coaches, was Gruden an assistant on that team? Sean th- Payton and John Harbaugh. Okay. I think Gruden was already assistants. off to Oakland okay. at that point. Yep. Oh, that's great. Yeah, Sean Payton was their Sean quarterback's Payton? coach. He might not put that on his resume, however. Wow. And John Harbaugh was the special teams coordinator for that Philadelphia Eagles team. Which uh, again scored seventeen touchdowns all season long. Their other two quarterbacks touchdown a game. Can you name either of the other two quarterbacks that started games that year? Was Bobby Hoying one of them? Yeah, this is awesome. Ah, yes. It wasn't Doug Peterson because Doug Peterson then went to Philadelphia with Andy Reid to be. He was like the stopgap quarterback before they decided to put McNabb in, but he wasn't there yet. Ninety eight. Who was the other? Who might have the other quarterback been? It wasn't Ty Detmer. It was Coy Detmer was the quarterback. I remember was the Detmer on that mm-hmm. team. And Bobby Hoyne was one of them. Gosh, I don't. I I don't know who the third Rodney quarterback. Pete. Rodney, Rodney Pete. Rodney Pete was okay. still That's there. Still pretty amazing. Oh my, he oh my was God. he was old by then, right? Oh yeah, Rodney oh, Pete was man. just about done by then. What? Wow, we will uh, we will wrap with Royce after that oh, impressive yeah. performance by Manny Hill. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Oakley Dokley. On 1500 ESPN. Wrap it with Royce. So explain this to me, sir. I saw your tweet this morning. So you were born James Patrick and you're adopted. Patrick and the last name's M, yeah. Okay. And, it's, and they uh, flipped it, though? Explain the flipping they, my it. Par- well, my parents just preferred it my mother my irish mother must have preferred it the other way i guess it's not like they were hiding it from anybody or anything they just they just uh flipped the name i don't know i never asked i don't you know i didn't you know it was uh, i didn't it wasn't really a big issue to me but they did flip it because when i went down to get my uh passport 20 years ago I had to go down to the slayton courthouse and this old judge who actually had handled the uh adoption down there, brought out the thing, and he said, this is your name. Do you want to know anything more about it? And I said, no, I'm fine. But uh, it was James Patrick on that. So that's uh, that's how I found out. <laughs> anyway, now I'm not going to say what the last name was because they don't like goofballs, but I do look in the obits to see if there's a billionaire with this last name. <laughs> <laughs> you Just never game. know. It's like, like me trying to prove that I'm actually a Meadow Lockington Sioux, you know, because I got this dark complexion. So maybe, maybe that could be it. So the Dodgers just tied it good. I'm now anti-Brewer after this oh. stuff they pulled today. What'd they do? Oh, the, oh my gosh, yes. What'd they do? Oh my god. Uh, single up the middle here with this guy on third, so it's 1-1 one, one in the fifth. No, well, no, but, but tell the audience what the Brewers oh, did to oh, start the game. Wade Miley started, right? Who's the starter? He faced one hitter, he walked him, and they hooked him. Are you kidding? He, well, he's he's a he's a lefty, right? 
Yes. So they they've done this before with him, where they'll yeah. start. They'll, this is like the third or fourth time they've done this, where they'll start him against a lefty. Now and then they'll pull him out of the game. Does he, if he gets him out, does he pitch against the next guy or not? No. Or he just no, he has he, he, Yeah, he's done the one the one batter thing he's done before this season. But he's been a traditional. He was a starter, right? I mean, he was yeah. in Baltimore and all those teams. He was a starter, so I, I would think you'd make somebody get a hit off him, wouldn't you? I don't know. Okay, well, Pat, that's me nuts. Pat, that's weird to me because I mean, last night they started Gio Gonzalez and then he got hurt. He like turned his ankle yeah. or something. They had to pull him early in the game, so he was kind of essentially an opener, and they had to burn through their bullpen yesterday, too. But when they used uh, him against Colorado, Gio, didn't they hook him after, like, four outs or something? And he hadn't pitched that terrible, but now they took him off the roster today. He's done. He can't pitch even if they advance. So. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, it's driving me crazy, man. I just, uh, I mean, what are we going to do with all You know, what are we going to do when we look up in the record, record book and the guy who made the most starts in the season was Gabriel Mola. <laughs> made 54 starts. It is. You know, <laughs> made 58 starts. Gabriel's, the, we got a baseball. If there's anything good about it, it's the sanctity of the, that, the way we've been able to compare records from decade to decade. But that's out the window now. I don't know what we're going to do. I can't wait. I can't wait until next year. Who's going to be the who are going to be the manager? Let's say, well, let's say the Brewers win the World Series. Craig Council yeah. as the National League All-Star manager using a lefty opener for one batter in the All-Star <laughs> game. Yeah. Yeah, right. Clayton Kershaw, one batter. Get out. Yeah. <laughs> no, no need to as I said the other day, oh. just think how Koufax would have been if they would have had Bob, how good he could have been if they would have had Bob Miller pitch to a right-handed hitter to start the game. Hey, Koufax that third time through the game. order, he wouldn't have to even, the, the, the leadoff guy would only have seen him got lit up. <laughs> Koufax was, Drysdale was even worse third time through. I guess uh, if you have a shuttle from uh, back and forth with relief pitchers, I, say, I guess you can do it, but I don't understand how this sustains itself over the course of the season. Tampa Bay did it a lot, I'll admit that. Uh, they had Durham right there, and they could bounce them back and forth, but it's, uh, I mean, the Milwaukee's doing it tenfold to what uh, Tampa did. You know, yeah. They started the guy, but they, he had permission to go two innings, you right. know, usually, so... This is extremely weird. But this council gets himself caught up once in a while too. He uh you think he was tell- uh, you think he was kicking himself when he took Hader out the other day and all of a sudden the bases are loaded in the bottom of the night with that other guy pitching, he got out of it. But uh, it's a four oh game and all of a sudden he's got the bases loaded. So Patrick, we're we're trying to come up with an all time thirty year anniversary Wolves dysfunction team. As an original season ticket holder, I want your thoughts on who the starting five for dysfunction would be. Well, what's the basis? Being a bad guy or just being a goofball? Across the board, your pick, dysfunction. Well, Ryder's right. Jimmy's the captain now, but Ryder was the captain and Leitner just for being a jackass. I'm not sure he was a I guess disruptive, but boy, I'd have to go back and look through uh, through all the all the uh, years. I'm trying to think, was there anybody in the early years? Uh, boy, I, I don't know, but you know, Ryder's the Ryder's, Ryder's number one. Leitner uh, can be on there for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah Leitner's on there. I mean, you had him back-to-back years uh, uh, 
you you drafted those two guys back to back years. Ryder was fifth, right? Ryder was fifth, and Leitner was third. Yeah. When we talk about great busts in this franchise's busted history, let's uh, let's not forget those two guys. Then, of course, you have Derek Williams and uh, Wesley Johnson. Who were, I think Wesley Johnson ranks pretty high, not as a disruptive force, but as one of the great flops ever, because not only did they get rid of him, they had to give up a number one draft choice to get rid of him, right? Didn't they <laughs> yeah, give up a yes, number one did. to send him to Phoenix? They gave up a number one to get rid of him, and he was the fourth <laughs> overall pick. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah they, uh, I saw I saw something floating around yesterday. It was This is apparently Steph Curry's 10th year in the NBA, and someone yep. photoshopped Steph Curry now with his arm around Steph Curry from his rookie season. We should really celebrate that in the spring, shouldn't we? <laughs> How did we let the 10th anniversary of that draft go away, man? Uh, remember that one year they had about four number ones and they ended up getting some guy from... By the time he got done trading him, he had some 28-year-old from Israel. Yeah. <laughs> he, was, he was insane. He was insane. Well, it was a year. Too bad we didn't have Tibbs coaching for Khan. Oh, my gosh. Well, then, there was a year that Khan was trading, like selling draft picks to try and get enough money to, to fire Rambus and pay off Rambus. Yeah. 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 I have a hard time being terribly optimistic this evening with a team that hasn't practiced together more than 20 minutes. And I suppose the only thing you can do is what you did last year. And we were all hoping that they would uh, pick up the pace from last year and not walk the ball down the court. And uh, But now uh, they're going to be uh, doing, have to do, I suppose that's all you can do is say, do what we did last year, right? Yeah, the most fun and miraculous thing would be if they started like 9-1. and one. <laughs> And they and they and they were locked into this thing for the whole year now. <laughs> the uh, the greatest part of this whole thing is the uh, is the, uh, the 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 owner finally speaks and it's to Sid and and he tells Sid exactly what one of those Sid interviews were. You're not going to get rid of Thibodeau, are you? Huh? 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 You're not going to get rid of Thibodeau. Well, no, no, he's right. <laughs> one of those. You know, one of those shit interviews where he gets the guy to tell him exactly what he wants him to tell him. Yep. Yeah, I think in the um, same interview he uh, he confirmed that Glenn Mason's job is still safe too. I yeah, poor, poor Chris Hine, new on the Wolves beat. He works for yeah. the guy and he can't even get the guy Glenn Taylor to talk to. Him. He talks to he Sid. Did, I think he did get him a couple of times, but not oh. uh, not not that often. It's, uh, yeah, you, you would think that'd be a pretty good source, but yep. uh, I don't know what a mess. Well, Pat, happy <laughs> birthday! Happy birthday, Pat! Enjoy the rest sir. of your Thank evening. You, I think. I think I'm going to celebrate by uh, watching uh, two baseball games and trying to stick with the Wolfies as long as I can. So. And uh, have some cyanide nearby, just in case. Okay. All right. All right. Talk to you tomorrow. Yeah, Bye. Happy we wrap with Royce every day. Uh, you can find everything and anything on demand from the Mackie and Judd Show at 1500ESPN.com, the Mackie and Judd Show page, or anywhere you would download or subscribe to podcasts. See you guys. This holiday season, Peloton's got a gift for you. Get up to $200 off accessories with the purchase of a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. And take your workout to the next level with accessories like non-slip grip dumbbells, a heart rate monitor, cycling shoes, and more. Peloton, motivation that moves you. This limited time offer ends December 25th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more.
All access membership separate. Offer ends December 25th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at onepeloton.com.